Hello, and welcome to In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a global movement of Evangelical Presbyterian churches. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, stated clerk of the EPC. Our prayer is that God uses Dean and his guests to both inform and inspire you about how God is working in and through the EPC. The motto of our family of churches is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. And welcome again, my friends, to another edition of In All Things, a podcast uh, put together by the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, the EPC, and we hope that it is a blessing to our pastors, elders, members, but we hope that uh, if you find it a blessing that you want to share along with others that you would do the same. Whether you're listening to us as you're driving to work, uh, perhaps you're uh, in the gym working out on a treadmill, or just having a morning cup of coffee, whatever it might be, we're grateful for the company and grateful that you uh, have taken the time to choose to listen in on yet another conversation that comes under the reign and lordship of Christ. Because, of course, in him, all things hold together. It's one of the uh, mottos of the EPC that in the essentials, unity, and the non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, charity or love. And uh, our hope is that how we conduct ourselves is under the banner of Christ and in all things uh, for him, by him, and through him. And of course, one of the big aspects of what we do in the EPC is through our world outreach. And world outreach is exactly what it sounds like. It is a group of people from the EPC who are reaching out with the good news and love of Jesus all across not just the United States but across the world and going oftentimes to the more challenging, difficult places where perhaps the gospel and the light of the gospel has not yet shown, uh, which makes it a particularly interesting challenge in a lot of ways. And yet that challenge is the challenge before us that uh, we have received gratefully as we've joined the Lord in his mission of bringing his great commission to the ends of the earth. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by an old friend of mine. We go back a few years, I think, uh, that we might have first met when I spoke at his church's retreat, an all-family retreat, and they were desperate. They couldn't find anybody to come in, so they said, you know, who could we get that would be really inexpensive, desperate, and willing to come? And so they invited me to come, and I think we met at that point, and my guess is he was the the pastor to youth at the time and uh, has since moved to uh, EPC World Outreach and has been our uh, mobilizer uh, for a number of years. So we're going to be talking with Sean Stewart, and Sean is um, EPC World Outreach Mobilizer, and he's going to tell us exactly what that means. Um, And he is our, you won't be able to see it because this isn't a uh, a podcast that's done with video, but he he is our energizer bunny. He's the the one that never stops, (laughs) who keeps going, who has the love of Jesus in his heart and just continues to push toward the Great Commission with everything fiber that's in his being. And uh, Sean, it's a delight to welcome you to In All Things here at the EPC. Thank you, Dean. It, it's, a, it's a blessing, privilege to be here with you this morning. It was. It was 30 years ago, 30 years ago, oh gosh. 1991, that we first met at that retreat at Bon Clarkin, North Carolina. Wow. I was uh, doing youth ministry. At we were kids. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think we still are, I hope. Uh, but yeah, it's been a wonderful journey, and uh, really, I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Before we get to how you shifted from youth ministry 
into EPC World Outreach. Tell tell the uh, those who are listening in so they can get to know you a little bit better about your family, sure. about how you came to faith in Christ, your calling to the ministry, anything along those lines. You know, I'm, I'm really a, a blessed person. I, I married Lisa Stewart, Lisa Henderson Stewart, many, many years ago. Uh, we met at Montreat College. Hold it now. You, 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 <laughs> I saw what you just did many, many years ago. So I'm going to hold you to a number because she's going to be listening Nin- into this. 1987 okay, uh, is when we got married. All right. Yeah. So, I'll, so well, it was about... Yeah, 35, as long as you know the 36 year, years ago. Yeah. Leave the math out, okay. We met at Montreat College. We both transferred to Wheaton College. Really blessed. Montreat was just a two-year school. That's when I first met Richard White, who was the pastor at Montreat Prez, which is now Christ Community, and he's still there. And it was a wonderful relationship that we uh, began with. I thought I was going to go into camping ministry, and she thought she was going to marry a camp director. Lo and behold, when I was at uh, Honey Rock Camp, um, leading wilderness programs over there, Ken Kalish, who inspired me to consider taking uh, this experiential camping thing into the mainline church and try to do this uh, with that. That really set a spark in my life for following up on that. How do you how do you uh, do student ministry like Jesus did in not in a camp but in the realm of a church uh, year round? And uh, Lisa and I got married. We've got three children. Uh, they're, our youngest is 27. I do know their ages. 27 and 32 is the oldest. Is Thaddeus is 32. Jillian is um, 30, just turned 30. Our youngest son is 27. They are not married. We, our oldest is now engaged. We're at a wonderful place in life. Our family has gone through many uh, experiences. We've been missionaries over in Bolivia doing student ministry. It's, it played a big role in this work here. Yeah, so Lisa and I, we got married. We went to school. I, I didn't go. Uh, when it came for uh, grad work, I was debating seminary, uh, really trying to figure out, you know, I, I felt called into uh, ministry for life. Felt that when I was in my first call in Stark, Florida. So I, I left Florida, went into went to Montreal College, met Lisa, and we both transferred to Wheaton, went to uh, Honey Rock Camp. It was at Honey Rock Camp that, that Ken Kalish really encouraged me to go into, into youth ministry. And when I told Lisa that, hey, I, I, I think I'm supposed to work in the church and not a camp, she was really bummed. I think we, were, we weren't engaged yet. We were about to get engaged, and it was looking that way. And uh, it, it was one of those difficult decisions, but it's one that I'm really grateful for. And she stuck with you. She So far, <laughs> she has stuck with me. When, I, when we graduated, I went in, stepped into a church, worked in student ministry for a little while, and then I felt called to get my master's degree. And I really debated about whether to go to seminary or, or not. And uh, I had been to Montreal College as a Christian school. I'd been to Wheaton uh, Christian School. I didn't feel called to the pulpit, but I was called to ministry. And I um, really ended up making a Pretty good decision. I went to a secular school, Mankato State, which is now Minnesota State University, and I majored in experiential education. It was a great degree. I went to a school that had a very liberal, new agey feel to it with experiential education. It was connected in with women's studies. I was able to do this thesis based, it was my thesis was uh, student ministry based on the life of Jesus Christ. And so I went into how do you develop a student ministry for a church that will get students into a life that simulates what Jesus has done? And so when I came out of that, that was when I went to Montreat. And I went there with this vision 
can you establish a student ministry that will enable students to come out into life as fully mature followers of Jesus Christ? I think that the thesis, what, what I came together, is what we built at, at Montreat Christ Community over the years, I think is a very healthy model. We had a strong emphasis on getting out of the classroom and getting into the community. We did it through what we called Holy Sweat, where you go out and serve the community and you try to help students have moments of giving of themselves and finding the blessing of sweating and serving. The blessing of sweating and serving. <laughs> That's so right. There's so many good things here, Sean, that just to drill down sure. on a couple of those, right? Because on the one hand, uh, we've been talking a lot in the EPC about doing evangelism and getting back to kind of our core mission, why the EPC was founded, putting the E back in the EPC, if you will, and, and, and trying to help create evangelistic cultures in our churches so that people are actually doing evangelism. But one of the, the, the keys to that, our head of church health, uh, Bob Stoffer, tells us is serving. So this whole idea of building relationships with people through what you're calling holy sweat, which I really like, is kind of the, um, the foundation upon which you can build a relationship. And that does sound an awful lot like the life of Jesus, right? He wasn't necessarily locked up in the classroom, totally. um, visited the synagogue uh, regularly, but, but was out on the streets, was with people, was feeding them, was caring for them, was healing them, was doing ministry with them. So this idea of getting out in the street, I love the, the, the word holy sweat. So that, that was a key part, and it was similar to what Christ did. But Christ also, he developed small groups. He developed a small group. A second part of my uh, graduate work was in developing what we call D-teams, discipleship teams. And the vision here was not to have like a leader working with one group and they got a new group each year. We came up with this crazy idea that you can get volunteers to commit to six to seven years as a volunteer. They would start with our students in sixth or seventh grade, they would travel with that group, not just through high school, but through college. And we called those D-teams. And it was a, a key part of what Jesus did with his disciples. And it's what we really took a big step in developing, making sure that we helped our church take care of those local leaders. The beautiful part for that was that those students, as they went out and served in the community, and they did the Holy Sweat, those leaders could debrief. They could talk about it. They could use those experiences we also wanted our students to leave their cultural comfort zones. So we would take trips in the, uh, you know, down to the coastal uh, Georgia from the mountains, from the Appalachian Mountains down there. We would drive uh, straight, take a van to Mexico, work across the border. We went to Bolivia. As we developed this, we ended up taking students to China, to Malawi, to um, Bolivia. Really a wonderful opportunity to enable students to be put in a place have some discipleship making, and then really process their life that they have and what is God wanting to do with your life as you send them out. And all of that is just reflecting Jesus's model of how we're to do discipleship in life. It's life on life, life and mission. Those, those really are coming straight from Christ. Now, that's helping me understand a lot of what you bring to the table as a mobilizer with World Outreach because your D groups sound an awful lot like the cohorts that you've been building you have this incredible passion for wanting to engage next generation leaders in this uh, great commission. So it seems like a natural fit that you would go from what you were doing. It was already uh, bridging into cross-cultural things, even when you were in youth ministry. But now you've bridged over into EPC World Outreach, where you've taken a lot of those same ideas 
and those have kind of uh, begun to uh, formulate into your role as a mobilizer. Is that fair to say? That's, that fair, God, to, that's fair to say, yeah. God was using all of that stuff to prepare you. Totally. I, I really look at so much of my life as a river that's been flowing continuously. It's connected. I still feel connected into student ministry, particularly for mentoring and that sense of trying to build those ramps. Uh, the way it's played into it was when I was called into this role, it was my wife, Lisa, who was the one who said, you need to do this, Sean. I was happily doing student ministry. I was back from Bolivia. We had started a ministry in Bolivia to train youth workers. I spent four years down there training youth workers to start a ministry called La Red de Mundo Juvenil. It was on its own. The leaders had taken over. I was going back annually to, to follow up on my brothers down there. Uh, George Carey, the director for World Outreach, and Greg Livingstone gave me a call when I was in the midst of making plans for a mission trip to the General Assembly in Baton Rouge. Mm. They were looking for someone to do mobilization because in two years earlier, the um, General Assembly had approved Engage 2025, and which meant that we were going to begin sending our own people out to the fields. And we were not set up to do that. We didn't have mobilization. Like, how do you find people to go? We weren't set up to send our own. We didn't have member care. So I was fortunate to be invited to this event up in Livonia at the headquarters. And while we were there, Greg Livingstone, George Carey, they all really said, you're going to be the one. But Dean, when I was there, I didn't want to do it. I was like, there's no way. This is like trying to build an airplane that you're taking off. This is going to be like herding cats. I, I was like, there's no way. On that Sunday morning when they finished up our encounter weekend, they asked, is there anyone here? who feels they should take a step forward with world outreach. And I was like, no way, this guy. And everybody turns and looks at me. And I'm like, why are they looking at me? And my wife had her finger pointed over my head. And I like, and they, they prayed for me. And we went back to the hotel room. And I'm going, Lisa, what are you thinking? Are you crazy? This is, the, this is the, so much order that's got to happen. And I really am thankful. It was one that I ended up going home and praying. And the Holy Spirit really affirmed that I was supposed to step out Began raising funds. You know, this was going to be 100% support raising funds, living in the U.S. Uh, it was like, okay, Lord, if you're going to do this, I will do it. And so we began that, and I began the journey. And, Dean, I do think that so much of what I've learned in this process has been really beneficial for building uh, what, we're, what we have today in mobilization. Well, let's put a pause there. Sure. Talk about where we're going in a second. But I, I just rewind the tape a little bit so that people – can understand what is mobilization. That's in-house language. We talk about it. I know what that means. You know what that means. But maybe the average person listening in goes, I'm not exactly sure what he's talking about. So in a, in a, in a brief sentence or two, what, what is mobilization? I guess you can accredit it to Ralph Winters. Uh, he's the one who had a big influence on what world, uh, what EPC does in World Outreach. What, uh, what, what uh, Einstein was to physics, oh Winters gosh, yeah. is to uh, modern-day missiology. U.S. Center of World Missions out in Pasadena coins the term unreached people group, 1040 window. And most of what has come out of missions in the last generation came out of kind of the seminal thinking of Ralph Winters. Yeah, and I think he, he has been a mobilization Guru. Phil Linton, our previous director, he was he challenged Phil Linton not to go to the field. He said, Don't go to the field. Instead, stay here and raise up a thousand more of views. So he it this role, this title really comes from that genre of uh, of thinking of, of Ralph Winters. It's based on, I think, on the Isaiah 52 7 
how beautiful are the feet. It's the same one within Romans 10, 14, talk about how beautiful are the feet who bring the good news to the people. It's, that really is a sense, how will they get there if we don't help send them there? And so mobilization purely is a task of helping those who are called, help to discover those and help get them there. And this role that, that I take and the rest of my mobilization team takes is to really believe that if a son or daughter in this church is sensing a call to go, that we should walk with them faithfully wherever they're going to help them to at least discern, is this or isn't it? And I think our role as mobilization is really looking into our churches and saying we do believe that God still calls people to go, not a lot, particularly overseas, but he does call some to go. And that's what our role is to really help find those, to walk with them and help prepare them to be examined and considered for long-term So you're missions. identifying them, you're coming alongside of them, you're um, answering their questions, supporting them, equipping them to the point where hopefully, Lord willing, even sending them yeah. in response to a Matthew 28 and the Great Commission. So what are some of those challenges you're facing today, Sean? The era of people kind of hearing the call and nobly stepping up and saying, here I am, Lord, send me. It's not that that still doesn't happen, but boy, it sure seems like a harder uphill climb these days than where it has been maybe at different times where there have been great movements of the Spirit where people have responded to the call, and uh, that may yet happen again. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. But what are the challenges right now that you're facing as you try to help people discern God's call uh, into the field? I'd say they're very similar to when I first started in this role. I think first is to grasp that they're already there and to, to, to believe that they're, they're somewhere out there and finding them. It, so the, the challenge we have today is making those connections with the ones that God has called. And even when we first began, that they were there. You know, my years in doing student ministry, and you've talked to any youth worker. If you talk to a youth worker, they can tell you that God is moving among young people. When I moved into this role, it was really saying they're there. We need to build the ramps on how to find them and then how to help them to get there. There's a disconnect in the EPC and all denominations, older older folks and then the young generations moving up. And if you can build a ramp to bring those two together, that really is a beautiful potential for the Holy Spirit to move to bring people at work. And so in those early days and even today, it's been a task of let's figure out ways to find that one or two young man, young woman in a student ministry group that when they go on a mission trip, the youth director is going, you have to come home. No, you can't stay. You have to come home. No, you can't. You know, they're the ones that people go, hey, if you think of one person who would like go to some far place, who is it? They would name that person. They're there. So building those ramps to do that. Today, what's pressing is us continuing to make sure that our churches know about these people so that we can uh, the mobilizers can make a connection get them connected to things that have them be in a relationship to begin walking with them in that ramp bringing the older generation the older stuff and this new generation together it strikes me that one of your tasks really is a is bringing that kind of awareness even to pastors and and elders and staff to say are you even discipling your people or thinking about your people in this way do you have that in mind where you're looking out at your youth group or you're looking at your congregation and thinking, are there people that God wants to raise up in, in response to the, uh, the prayers of the harvest, right? So just getting pastors to even think that way 
because they're they're looking at oftentimes you know making their budget and the funeral that's coming up next weekend and and some of the pressing problems that they face in their congregation and yet they also are called to think about okay who is God raising up from this this uh, fellowship that he might be sending uh, maybe there'd be a pastor maybe they'd be a, a global worker maybe they would be uh, whatever it would be but helping pastors to have that vision. Yeah, again, I, I look back to my youth ministry years. I think the DNA of a youth worker is exactly that. We are people who look out at young people and say, this current culture, whatever it is, it changes from every 10 years, that God has made you for a purpose. He loves you, and he's got a purpose for you. Youth workers see that. And so bringing it into that role, as we look out at this church, it's the laity. It's the laity that's out there. And so helping to do things that say to the laity, you are invited to be part of what God is doing is vital. And I do think we need to help pastors to remind them to say, your voice is heard by the young people. When you say, hey, are you interested in following Christ? Do you want to go into ministry? Do you want to go into business in this? We want to know those people are there. And so finding those, I think that's really what we feel like through church engagement, helping the churches to have a place that they can recommend someone that they've identified as that because they're there and i do feel like we're continually trying to build those bridges with more communication and i'm so impressed as i know you are as we've gotten to meet more and more of our next gen leaders in the epc you just see this incredible giftedness and bright smart articulate faith and um, i'm excited for the future of the epc as i watch them rising up into positions of leadership so two things before we close okay number one is uh, where do you see god at work today uh, so that people can either keep their eyes open with faith to see and perhaps join him in that activity and then two sean if you could think of a just a good story that would encourage our hearts and how you've seen god working it could be in a cohort that you've had or a conversation that you've had or any kind of uh, ministry moment where you saw the Lord at work at, that encouraged your heart that maybe would be something could be shared to encourage ours. So two things. One is where's God at work today? And two, any sh- stories you could share to encourage us? Yeah, where God's working. It would be a mistake for me not to, to share how wonderful it has been to be in this role of coordinator of mobilization and see families or couples or individuals who are willing to give up the comfort and to say there's a large percentage of the people in this world who have never met a Jesus follower. I want to be one of the people to go live among them, perhaps with a national that's a Jesus follower or a near national, and I want to stay there for quite a while, long enough to learn culture, to learn language, and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to a people who have not yet heard. That's, that's I think, is a, I think that's really what it's all about, is that people would be invited in that banqueting table and that we have people that are at that place. And I think your second a story, this is going to be a statistical one. We only have 140-something global workers in the EPC. I say only. The reason I say only is because that's only, that's, 0.01% of our, of our membership. But right now in our pipeline, we have about 24 people. It's like over 10% of the people in our pipeline that would increase that. I, I just am so encouraged that God is on the move. He is on the move with bringing the gospel 
from some of our people to join others in partnership in different places. We can celebrate that. We can come behind these people. Many of them are lay people. They're, they are members in our churches. We can come behind them. There's one young woman. She came through our cohort. Since she's been a teenager, she's felt called to Baghdad. She's well on the way and down our pipeline, and we hope soon she's going to be joining a team, our team in Lebanon reaching Syrian refugees. This is what I believe we have hundreds of in our churches, people that are looking to go long-term in some way of following Jesus. And that's probably a longer conversation for another day, Sean, but uh, ministering among refugees seems to be a growing movement. And, you know, in the history of missions, you can actually trace the way God has worked through the world, oftentimes through displaced peoples. And you can kind of track their pathway and you can track the gospel actually following their pathway so so well. So the idea that we have, you know, Syrian refugees in Lebanon or the idea that we have Afghan refugees here in the United States uh, working among refugee populations is probably one of those kind of cutting-edge places where people maybe in the near future being called to do ministry because there just seems to be we're at an unprecedented time in terms of the amount of people who are being displaced around the world. EPC churches have stepped up to the plate with Afghans particularly. We took our mission cohort to work in uh, with Centerville Presbyterian Church in Fremont from that little that church that's surrounded by Afghans living in apartments all around them. We have seen them really raise up and be welcoming of these Afghans. You go to Sacramento, California, the church, the EPC churches in that town have shown up. World Relief is telling us our efforts there of getting them involved is bringing fruit. We can look to Seattle. We can look to Asheville, North Carolina, several churches welcoming Afghans. We can look to the north. We can look to the south. Our churches are doing a great job. And it's one of the roles that World Outreach Mobilization and Church Engagement is there to help we can help you pastors to make these connections. We've got a network of people. We've got cohorts that we uh, provide on, on how to welcome these refugees that God has brought. Isn't it, Dean, isn't it, what is it, Luke 17, where it says that God decides where and when people live and move and how, how we function as a people group. He's bringing the unreached to our doorsteps. And World Outreach, our team that we have, are really excited to be part of it, and it's Beautiful to see these churches stepping up. So if somebody was interested and in, in maybe feels the tug of the Holy Spirit, Sean, and wanted to reach out just to have a conversation with you or someone in World Outreach, how would they do that? Get in touch with me by email, sean.s at epcwo. It's S-H-W. That's right. Just like the Stuart. That's a W in there. That's right. And you can also uh, get in touch with the World Outreach office here in the General Assembly office, and they will get me in contact with you. We, we will be coming to your presbyteries and promoting the efforts of reaching Afghans and other refugees. Be watching for that at your presbyteries. We're trying to build a cohort on best practices that we're learning as we're learning how to welcome these new people into our places. Thank you, Sean. Appreciate the time today. Appreciate the way the Lord is using you and your availability. So thank you so much. Thank you, Dean. Thank you so much. All right. So my friends, I hope uh, this is one of those podcasts that I really think uh, you should be sharing with the elders in your church 
it's certainly one of the mission elders in your church. I mean, every church has somebody who is kind of appointed or has stepped up to the plate to kind of be responsible for that congregation's focus on missions. And it's always surprising to me how many of our churches are not connected to what the EPC is doing globally. And yet I think that would be a huge blessing for them. Um, We have people who God has called and raised up who are helping lead our denomination really into ways in which we see the Great Commission lived out in our own Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And tapping into their knowledge, their expertise, their resources, um, it's something really special and unique to the EPC. And I hope that you'll pass this word along, this conversation with Sean Stewart along to those in your congregation that they might be encouraged by it. As Sean said, those people are in our congregations. It's a matter of praying and identifying and raising up so that we can come alongside of them and help them respond to the call. Well, my friends, that wraps it up for this time together. And as always, we end with a very good word, which is from God's word from Colossians chapter one. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. For he is the head of the body, the church. Until the next time, my friends, God's grace and peace be upon you. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, we hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.